Hey everyone, you are listening to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and beauty director, Alexandra Angler. Here we discuss all things beauty taken through the lens of well being. Thank you for joining. So, before we get into the episode, I'll go over some things that we have going on at Mind Body Green. Our beauty franchise, Beauty Breakdown, has become a hit and we are extending it into other media platforms. Originally, it was just on the website. You might have seen it. It's it's where we discuss confusing beauty topics like exfoliation, sun care, and so on. In the articles, we dive deep into the science behind the topics, what we are getting wrong, and what we should actually be doing. So I'm actually just popping in to say, what would you like us to cover? What questions do you have? And what beauty concerns are most pressing to you? If you have any ideas or topics or whatever, go ahead and head over to sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool to submit your questions or leave a voicemail. That is sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool. I actually just linked it out in the show notes, so you can click on it there. If you are not into leaving voicemails, I totally get it. You can actually DM me too. I am at alex underscore blair underscore on Instagram. So find me there and shoot me a DM. On to the episode. So today I am chatting with Dr. Lara Devkin. She is a top plastic surgeon, not to mention she is a fierce advocate for bettering the industry and leading with science, which is probably why her social media presence has exploded. So many folks come to her for advice, insights, and so much more. After speaking with her, I can totally understand why she is thoughtful, whip smart, and reasonable. Not to mention, she approaches beauty from a very well-rounded perspective. I think you'll see exactly what I'm talking about throughout the episode, so let's just go ahead and get into it. Dr. Devkin, welcome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I cannot wait to hear more about your story and get all of your incredible advice. You have obviously gorgeous skin, so I need all of your intel, and I am sure all of our listeners will be hungry for all that information as well. But before we get into any of that, I always like to start the episodes by, you know, letting the audience and myself get to know you a little bit better. So I would love to hear your story and journey into medicine. Well, I didn't know that I was going to end up in this spot. It was kind of the circuitous path for me. I grew up in Malibu, California, down the street from the old Getty Museum. And when I was a little kid, I used to take art classes there. And I thought I was going to grow up and be an artist. And, you know, in a way, being a plastic surgeon is kind of like being a working artist. So I would think so. Part of that childhood dream did come true. But I continue to love aesthetics and fine details and facial balance and proportion. And I have since I was little. I grew up in L.A., as I was saying. And when I was in college, I studied English language and literature. I really loved the art of the written word and communication. But at that time, I also was really interested in science and anatomy. And I studied biochemistry and worked in some really amazing biochemistry labs and did pre-medical studies. And that was a time when my interest in anatomy and art and kind of the world around me, language, English, the desire to help people, all of these things were kind of coalescing. And my interest in bench science 
some of my early interest in skincare, that stuff was, those, those seeds were getting planted. In the meantime, I was still keeping up with my desire to draw and paint. And so I had some exhibitions when, when I was growing up and throughout the years in high school and college. I had the opportunity when I was at Yale to work with Robert McNabb, who was a really amazing biochemist studying the flagellar export apparatus. And some of those same basic science skills came into play many years later with my medical grade skincare line because the principles of science are true whether you're talking about flagella or whether you're talking about dermal barrier elements and in the same way that the ideas of facial proportions and beauty are true when you're doing art classes as a little kid or yeah. thinking about profile balance as an adult plastic surgeon and I after college at Yale, went to medical school at Johns Hopkins, and that was a truly amazing experience. It was a school that I applied to really on a, on a prayer. It was like a dream come true to be able to go there because Hopkins is an institution where Halstead and all of these amazing minds in the world of surgery, the forefathers of the field of surgery, came up with these incredible concepts of sterile technique and t delicate tissue handling and these really incredible principles that we use today. And that, that path really allowed me to have exposure and access to some of the greatest minds in all different surgical fields. And through a variety of different circuitous paths, I became really interested in plastic surgery in particular. And what really drew me to plastic surgery was the complex reconstructive operations that allowed people whose lives were torn apart by trauma or cancer yes. or genital anomalies or burn injuries to have their lives put back together. And as a young medical student standing in the back of big operating theaters, I would observe extremely skilled surgeons, many years my senior, taking complex parts of the human body and putting them together, hooking up tiny little blood vessels under a microscope and doing free tissue transfers to make the fibula or leg bone into a new jawbone or mandible, taking the belly and making it into a new breast, restoring a cleft lip or palate, replanting a finger that was amputated. The, the breadth and depth of plastic surgery was extremely beautiful to me. And that I felt was really inspiring. And so after medical school, I matched in plastic and reconstructive surgery at the training program at New York Presbyterian Hospital, which is the residency and fellowship at Columbia and Cornell. And so I moved to New York City and that was sort of the, the New York version of me. And I've been here ever since 2007. So I really have had the opportunity here in New York to train with some of the greatest, you know, New York City plastic surgeons and at all of the best hospitals and have exposure to incredible techniques. It's been an incredible professional development. And I started my private practice in 2013. And in the nine years since then, have really had the privilege of taking care of thousands and thousands of people from all over the world and really focusing in on the things that I love to do the best, which are delivering careful, meticulous, detailed, 
excellent, safe outcomes to people of all descriptions. My work today really focuses on surgical and non-surgical procedures of the face, breast, and body. And as you know, as we were talking about a little bit before we got started, I am also the founder and CEO of my medical grade skincare line, Dr. Lara Deppian Scientific Beauty, which kind of brings in a little bit of my background in bench science from Yale and Johns Hopkins and my different research experience to a bit of my clinical world. Yeah, clearly you are so passionate about all aspects of your job. Just, you know, the way that you speak about the work and, you know, that the art of medicine is really quite beautiful. So I'm, it makes me curious, what about your work now excites you the most? I mean, is there something that in the, in the huge scope of what you do, is there something that is, you know, the most interesting to you right now at this point in your life? Can you think of, I, you know, my favorite thing about what I do is that I find everything exciting. Sure. <laughs> everything is everything is cool. And I think that I try to bring my enthusiasm for what I do to literally every single patient. There's, It's sort of like what I say to my kids. Each one of you is my favorite and every, everybody is important. Every one of my patients is a VIP and every case is interesting. And if something's not interesting to you, I don't care what field or industry you work in. If it's not interesting to you, you're not really thinking about the problem hard enough. And mm. there are people who say Botox is easy. And if you think it's easy, you're not trying hard enough. And there are yeah. people who say that a breast augmentation is easy, a facelift is easy, a tummy tuck, et cetera. Every, everything is easy. But if you think that anything is easy, you're not trying to push the envelope in the field. Mm. And I, I don't know if it's my personality type or just how I'm wired, but for everything I do, I wouldn't say it's a desire to gamify it, but it's a desire to try to optimize it and a desire to sure. try to get better. When I started my career as a plastic surgeon, the incisions that were used for a routine breast augmentation were probably the length of my palm. Like they might've been five or six inches long. And now the incisions that I make for a breast augmentation are less than an inch in some wow. cases almost less than three quarters of an inch and nearly undetectable. And yeah. the operation is almost bloodless. It can be performed in some cases in under half an hour. And that's a totally different ball game from the five to seven inch long incision that in the surgery that took many hours. And, yeah. and I'm not that old. <laughs> I've only been you know, I've only been on this planet for a relatively short amount of time. And, and so I think to myself with every operation that I do and with every patient that I see, I want this patient to have the best result that I've ever done. Because if this is the best one, then that means that every, if, if everything you do is 1% better than the last yeah. thing that you did, then, then you're going to be really pushing the envelope, you're going to be really amazing. So, but I mean, more specifically, what really excites me is just the concept that we're going to, in plastic surgery, be doing more with less. So the future yeah. of plastic surgery is going to be more and more 
advanced techniques with smaller and smaller incisions and less and less downtime. So a facelift incision is now very tiny and mostly hidden behind the ears. You know, blepoplasty incision now heals un almost undetectably with a zip stitch. The breast augmentation incision I was mentioning, you know, injectable fillers can be used to do amazing things like non-surgical rhinoplasty, tear trough augmentation, facial contouring, stuff that we didn't used to think was possible. Sure. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, all of that is so fascinating. And also just your view on how you approach your job is, I think, good career advice for anybody, regardless of what industry they're in. So I will certainly be taking, I will certainly be taking that point of view as I approach my, my work going forward. So thank you for the career, along with, you know, all the beauty advice that I'll be getting. Okay. So what is your beauty philosophy? And I asked this question because I think it's going to set the stage for so much of the, the beauty questions that I'll be asking. I think that beauty has to be sensible. Beauty mm. has to be science-backed. I think it should be individualized. So you need to be your own kind of beautiful. The era where beauty standards are handed down to you by public figures and magazines and corporations and boardrooms, that era is over. You know, it's time for us to be our own kind of beautiful. And beauty should make you feel whole and better. It shouldn't make you feel less than somebody else and it shouldn't make you feel insecure. It's really all about confidence and beauty is all about what's on the inside. And it's really something for a plastic surgeon to tell you that beauty's on the inside. So I, <laughs> I actually really mean that. And then I think furthermore, when I say that beauty has to be sensible, what I mean is that beauty should be science backed. You know, we have to really yeah. ask ourselves, does like, is, is it really true that like caviar and dead sea salt and like truffles are going to change <laughs> our skin? Or is that like, is that maybe not passing the gut check? Or, or sure. maybe, it, maybe it is true and we need a randomized controlled trial to prove it for us. And well, I don't know. Science is just the, the art of asking good questions and then proving them. So I don't yeah. claim to know everything. I just am an avid reader and somebody who tries to take in data. So those sure. are a couple of things that I believe in terms of my philosophy. Another thing that I think about in terms of my philosophy and my daily work as a plastic surgeon is that I think about plastic surgery as a ladder of interventions. There's like the very minimally mm. invasive, the medium stuff, and then the maximally invasive things like surgical interventions. And generally speaking, I think that people should try to do the least, the fewest things needed to make them happy. And you want to try to be at the lowest rung on the ladder necessary to keep you feeling good. Uh, Whether that means fewer units of Botox or fewer surgical procedures or fewer skincare products. You know, I think the overall ethos of minimalism makes human beings happy. And I also, for whatever it's worth, think think that means fewer clothes in your closet, less consumption of random stuff that you don't need, less of a footprint on this planet. Like yeah. sometimes, sometimes you need, sometimes, sometimes I need to bring five different sweaters because I'm not sure what I'm going to wear. So, <laughs> I, so I, I, I deeply get that, but, but sometimes you really only need one sweater and yeah. also true for beauty products. And that's also true for medical interventions. And I think 
we should all be keyed into that idea that that even though we're living in a world where we have more and more choices and the choices are multiplying by the second, we have to we have to rein ourselves in. Discretion is the better part of valor, as Shakespeare yeah. wrote. And so we have to like kind of dial it back a little. Yeah. Well, you know, everything that you just mentioned definitely gave me some insights into your skincare line and perhaps a little bit of a peek behind the curtain on what went into the thought process of what you've created, especially, you know, science-backed part. So tell me about your skincare line. You know, as a plastic surgeon, why, why did you decide that you wanted to start a skincare line? And, you know, what were the core values that you set up when, when you started to ideate on it? In much the same way that you can't rely on your dentist twice a year to make your teeth white. You know, you need to brush your teeth and floss every single day at home. You can't rely on your plastic surgeon twice a year to just, you know, do your Botox and fillers and laser treatments and think that that alone will suffice. And the power of many tiny daily interventions cannot be underestimated. And I would argue that it's those many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of interventions, those micro decisions, those make us who we are. And yeah. those little habits like, are you going out in the sun every single day without sunscreen? Are you sleeping right on your face and etching positional wrinkles into your face? Are you are you taking the extra five seconds to use a vitamin CBE ferulic serum or a retinol vacuciol? Are you putting a peptide eye cream around the delicate periorbital skin on your face? Are you using a legitimate mixed molecular weight hyaluronic acid serum that's fortified with niacinamide? Are you doing those little extra steps that we know based on a review of PubMed data and a review of the literature can actually help your skin look better as a performance organ and function mm. better. If you're doing those things, you're going to end up in a better place. It's the same way that you, I know nothing about cars, so please forgive this somewhat. Fun <laughs> but, well, I know nothing about cars, so I'm not going to be able to fact check you. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just going to say, you know how you sometimes see those people who have beautiful, pristine, classic cars from the 1950s? And it's like you're walking into a time capsule because yes. they're all polished and perfect. And it almost seems like they're right off of the showroom lot from 1955. And it's because the person who owns that vehicle has been taking care of it and waxing it and polishing yeah. the leather seats every single day. So that level of maintenance is possible for everything, including yeah. skin on our bodies, which, you know, is not dissimilar from the leather or the seats of that car. And it's also a living organ. So basically the idea behind creating a skincare line was that not every hammer requires, or not every nail requires the same kind of hammer. And yeah. while I'm capable of doing a full facelift in, you know, lifting the deep plane of the face and the neck, redraping the skin, doing an ablative erbium laser, fat grafting, injectables, fillers, Botox, all the, the works, sometimes we can do less and we can think about prevention-oriented beauty and we can help people 
in a much more vertically integrated way. And sure. not, not everybody wants to ever know me or anybody like me. A lot of people want to never cross paths with a plastic surgeon ever in their lives. And even the people who do have every single kind of plastic surgery can still benefit from taking care of the visible organs on their skin. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that you kept on that you referred to it as a performance organ, which is something that we talk a lot about here on the podcast that, you know, your your skin has 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 functions. It has it has a job. Its job is to protect you. Its job is, you know, to keep all the stuff in. It has, you know, means outside of its aesthetic end. So, you know, I, I really like that phrase, performance organ, and and clearly it speaks to the philosophy of how you formulated your products because, you know, they of course they address aesthetic concerns, but clearly they are addressing something much deeper. So, you know, just to dive a little bit deeper into that, just because so many of the ingredients that you just mentioned fascinate me. And I, I know that our listeners would be curious about them. When you set out to pick some of these ingredients that ended up ultimately making it into your products, what was the intention behind the the very specific things that you chose obviously science backed is there but you know was it were, were you trying to address ultimately barrier function were you trying to address you know anti-aging skin longevity like what what was the thought process there you know that's so interesting i actually came i came at it in a totally different way what i what mm. i actually was looking at was i started by looking at what has the what has the body of scientific literature shown us and mm -hmm. what should I take from the literature and bring to people? And there is a huge body of research that shows efficacy for retinoids. You know, retinoids are agents that improve skin cell turnover and therefore improve fine lines, hyperpigmentation, the appearance of enlarged pores, overall skin texture and turgor and luster. And so mm. retinoids, they were on the list for sure. And those made yeah. their way into my product line in the form of our retinol bacuchiol serum. Vitamin C. I mean, that these are things that literally no board certified plastic surgeon or dermatologist is going to fight you on. Like ret retinol, yeah. vitamin C. Vitamin C, definitely on the list. Powerful antioxidant, scavenges free radicals from the environment. It's going to help fade brown spots, hyperpigmentation, melasma, make your skin look good, help salvage UVA and UVB radiation. You know, a zinc and titanium based SPF product, the use of peptides, the concept of a mixed molecular weight hyaluronic. So basically what I did was more of looking at what the scientific literature has to show us and looking mm -hmm. at where we are in the current like skin science and what's the best stuff that has the best evidence backing and how do we get it into the products? And so, yeah. you know, our vitamin C, B, E, ferulic acid serum, our mixed molecular weight hyaluronic serum, which, you know, is fortified with niacinamide because that gives a little extra vitamin B mm. and antioxidant support. You know, the decision to not just have a regular retinol, but to have a retinol that adds bacuchiol, which is a plant-based antioxidant and a red wine derivative that will also help temper the activity of retinol so you get less redness and dryness. So I... Of course, I want to solve as many problems as possible, but sometimes people will ask me a question and 
it's a difficult question and I, I don't even know where to begin, but here's the question. People will ask me, I, I see that you have a skincare line. It looks really cool. Which product should I use? What's the one product I should use? And I don't even know what to say. It's sort of like saying, asking a dietitian, like, okay, I see, you know, a lot about food. What food should I start with? And it's like, <laughs> no, 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 that's not how skin, that's not how the skin works. Like a healthy, balanced approach to having beautiful skin means in much the same way, a healthy, balanced diet means that you eat a little bit of protein, vegetables, fruit, carbohydrate, dairy, a little bit of everything. And how much of each thing can vary based on who you are, your tastes, your preferences, your genetics, if you have a certain disease or medical condition, a gluten allergy, a dairy intolerance, et cetera, that may change. In the same way, a healthy, normal skincare routine requires a little bit of all of these ingredients and yeah. the exact percentages and rates and degrees may vary if you're sensitive or oily or acne prone or you have a, an intolerance to a certain ingredient you may fluctuate up or down with one thing or the other, but almost all people are going to require a little bit of everything. And so yeah. we have to think about feeding the skin the same way we think about feeding our bodies. Mm. God, I love that answer. I am going to be stealing it. I will credit you, but I will be using that when people no. ask because I, I do get, I, I get that question quite a bit. If I, you know, if I only choose one product, what should it be? If I only choose one ingredient, what should it be? And it's, you can't answer that question because that's, like you said, not how skin works. So, you know, when you were talking about your beauty philosophy, you mentioned within your practice as a plastic surgeon, you ladder up, right? You know, so you you start someplace more or less invasive and you build from there. So I'm I'm curious. So when it comes to treatments and things that you do within your practice, you know, what what and I'm sure this is different for everybody. I'm sure everybody comes in from a different starting point. But, you know, what are some of the things that people, let's say in their 40s, 50s, what can they kind of start with that baseline before you might, you know, make a more invasive treatment or surgery? Yes, absolutely. So I think of the world of plastic surgery in a few different buckets. So bucket one is going to be related to topical skincare. And that's kind of what we've been diving into. And that's something that you can do in the comfort of your own home, your bathroom mirror, your vanity, and that's very safe feeling. And that's kind of what we just talked about. Bucket two is a little bit more high octane skincare. And that is in office skincare treatments just for texture, skin quality, evenness of skin tone. And that would be things like gold microinfusion, microneedling, which is a cocktail of hyaluronic. It can include neuromodulator, platelet-rich plasma, and those are micro-injected into the dermis 500 microns deep to give you kind of a glass skin look. And so people sometimes call this a glass skin facial. Also in this category would be things like lasers, like erbium laser resurfacing is amazing as a control alt delete for your skin or chemical peels. So that's bucket two, basically like how do you resurface the skin is bucket two. Yeah. Bucket three is injectables. And that's where you're starting to get a little bit more invasive, but still pretty, pretty light. 
And this is Botox and fillers. And I use the term Botox generically. Botox is a brand name for neuromodulators, which basically Botox is wrinkle smoothing. And that's usually for the forehead, glabella between the eyebrows, crow's feet. You can use it to lift the brows, smooth out the neck, reduce gumminess of the smile, flip the lip up. You can use Botox for a lot of different things. And you can use injectable fillers in a lot of beautiful ways also to contour the face, to create more cheekbone and jawline definition, non-surgical rhinoplasty, softening hollows in the face, lip augmentation. So injectables are probably the largest, fastest growing area in the world of plastic surgery because they're very minimal downtime and you can get very instant gratification. And then the next bucket, bucket four, is suture suspension which is the modern generation of thread lifting, which is done in the deep plane of the face. And it's kind of for people who want a little more lifting than injectables, but they're not quite ready for surgery. And then bucket five is surgery. And that's just everything. That can be surgery to help lift, tighten, reduce, enlarge any part of your body from your head to your toe. And that is something where an exact surgical procedure is going to depend on your unique anatomic characteristics and mm. the complexity of the operation needed to make you happy. But some of my most frequently performed procedures are blepharoplasty or eyelid surgery, brow lift to make the eyebrow more arched, facelift, neck lift, breast augmentation, tummy tuck, liposuction, labiaplasty, body contouring stuff. You know, all of those things are surgical procedures. So what would you tell people as a caution when they are looking to find a plastic surgeon or, you know, embark on this journey? Because obviously, you know, there are people who do incredible work, yourself included, obviously, and there's a lot of really incredible surgeons out there. But, you know, I am sure there are instances where, you know, you would say, well, that's a red flag or just perhaps somebody is not in a state where you would recommend that they do plastic surgery. What are some of those cautions that you explain to people? You want to go to somebody reputable, a board certified plastic surgeon who is going to go the distance with you. It It's a huge commitment to have plastic surgery and you want to go through that journey with a plastic surgeon who truly cares about you as a person. And it's, it's hard to explain it, but I, I, I want people who are listening to this to, to make sure that they're committed to safety and long-term happiness, not the quick fix answer because often a quick fix answer is going to end up being more problematic in the long run. So it's essential that it's a board certified plastic surgeon. Check out their education and credentials. Did they go to legitimate training institutions? Are they a real plastic surgeon? Many of the loudest, most popular voices on social media are not actually board certified plastic surgeons. That includes a lot of people that celebrities are posting, they're not real plastic surgeons. And I can't really emphasize this enough. You want to make sure that you're reviewing before and after photo. You want to make sure that you have a rapport with the person, that you have a good gut check, that you trust them, 
that when you see their office and you're with them, that it feels like the kind of place that you want to be and that you listen to your little voice. And I think that that's advice for any situation. If you're, you know, interviewing for a job or you're on a date or you're in an unfamiliar location, just like listen to your little voice. Usually your intuition is going to tell you something about what you really are supposed to be thinking. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love that last bit of advice of just listening to your instant intuition. You know, I, I think it's stronger than a lot of us give it credit for. So that's always a good indicator, no matter what situation you're in. Let me just say one more thing. Whenever a patient is chatting with me about any kind of procedure and I am picking up from them any degree of nervousness or hesitation, mm-hmm. I will always say as a matter of principle, why don't you sleep on it? And we can always do this another time. Even if it's very highly inconvenient for me, I have just made it my principle to literally never make anybody feel pressured because I think that it's a plastic surgeon's responsibility to understand that when you wear a white coat like this, it carries a little bit of authority and it can read as a little bit intimidating to people. And so you sort of owe it to people to step back a little bit and give them the grace of having a moment to themselves. And so even if I've already set up an entire procedure and I am totally ready to go, I will always tell people, that's okay, don't worry about it. Why don't you sleep on it? And I am always here, we can do it another day. And I think that you should never have a situation where you feel like you are required to go ahead with a procedure that you are not positive that you want to go through with, that's a big red flag. And you should find somebody who makes you feel comfortable. I mean, on the flip side, don't cancel one second before. That's rude. But, (laughs) but, you know, within reason. (laughs) Sure. I think it's fair to not cancel one second before. (laughs) Okay, so we often talk about lifestyle as it relates to beauty here because, you know, obviously the habits that we keep influence our skin and the way we look to a great degree. And so, you know, when when you are speaking with patients or you are speaking with anybody that you're working with, what sort of lifestyle things do you advise people to keep in mind as it relates to skincare? Are there things that you have people kind of maybe adapt new habits around? Yeah, I think that it's important to try to moderate your lifestyle. So a healthy overall life is going to be reflected in your skin. So if you are living a very hard life, it's going to get reflected in your skin. So overall health and well-being is most visible in your big visible organ, which is the skin front and center. So you want to make sure that you're getting regular routine health care and checkups. If you have chronic medical conditions, try to make sure that they're under control. Try to eat a relatively healthy and relatively balanced diet. Physical exercise not only makes you feel good, balances your weight homeostasis, but it also gives a little ruddiness to your skin that can be very healthy looking and helps your complexion and circulation. I, I suggest that people try to sleep on their back to avoid positional wrinkles because those will really etch in your nasolabial yeah. folds and fine lines on your face. You know, the healthiest amount of alcohol to drink is zero. And that is an unpopular opinion, but truly 
Surely zero is the correct answer to that question. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know. And, you know, vaping, tobacco, smoking, those things are also not very good for your skin. You're going to have vices in your life, like being out in the sun and tanning beds, stuff like that. You have to do it eyes wide open. Those things are really not good for your health, your beauty, your skin cancer risk. So those are kind of just general pieces of medical advice. And then in terms of specific skincare advice, if I only had three things to suggest to people, I would say your three most important products aside from a zinc and titanium SPF would be a retinol, bacuchiol, vitamin CB, ferulic, and, and a mixed molecular weight hyaluronic. All right. Well, I think that's stuff that we could all uh, take home and, and work on, certainly. It's, it's all very reasonable advice. So the last thing that I always ask my guests about are what they do for themselves. I, I ask this question and I start off with skincare, but then, you know, I also love to hear about your well-being habits. Well, for my morning routine, I the first thing I do in the morning is check my cell phone, which I don't know if it is... I don't know if it's actually good for my well-being. It may be bad for my well-being, but that is an honest answer. And then I snuggle all my kids. They all come into my bed and hug me in the morning. And that is very good for my well-being. And my husband, he makes me a cup of coffee. That's very good for my well-being. And then in terms of my morning skincare routine, you know, I am very partial to my own skincare line. So sure, that's fair. <laughs> Area the extensive product plugging. I want to bore you, but I will say that like mornings, I love my hyaluronic peptide eye cream, SPF BB cream, and niacin squalene neck cream. Don't neglect your neck. I'll say that. And then I don't, I don't like to wear much makeup because I'm always wearing a mask because sure. I think doctors are never going to stop wearing masks because I'm always leaning into my patients. And so even though society has gotten past that, I'm still wearing a mask all the time. So I really like to emphasize my eyes. So Platinum Long Lash and our Extreme Lengthening Mascara are my go-to makeup products every day. And that's kind of my morning routine. I, I'm really into the idea of beauty from the inside out. And so I try to, I try to do a seven-minute exercise app by Nike, which is like a free app on the App Store. Seven minutes is now currently my maximum that I'm able to accomplish. Nothing. But there was a time when I used to go to the gym for like an hour and a half a day. But it was a long time ago. Yeah. Very long time ago. Well, listen, everything you shared today is so actionable and serviceable for all of us. You know, there were so many different parts that I, I know that I will be walking away with. As, as advice that I take home. And then also just some really great broader philosophical points that I, I found very, very beautiful. So thank you so much for your, your intel and your input and your insights. I, I so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. This was so fun. And I loved chatting with you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.